Father God, we pause. And Lord, I've taken eight minutes to just speak out thankful praises to you of bringing families to be a part of our church, of saving lives and turning on hope and life in people's souls. Thank you, God, that we get to be a part of that. And that, that COVID may be at work, but you are overpowering COVID. 17 people prayed to receive Christ. COVID may be affecting us, but it's not taking our life. God, it may be messing with our rhythms, but it is not messing with you. You are still in control. And we pray for protection over all the Grace Point family as they travel or family members come in, or maybe they don't. And their plans have been interrupted. Father, 84% of our people know people who have been diagnosed with COVID. It's legit. So Lord, help us to be sensitive and caring and loving for our neighbors and to love them the way we love ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all can be seated. Awesome time together to be able to worship and thank God for for all that he's doing and has done. Um, let me ask you a question. I want you to think about it. If you're online, you can fill it out in the comments section. If you're in this room and there's somebody sitting next to you in a moment, feel free to turn to them and give them your answer, okay? Here's the question. What is the greatest killer to gratitude? We're going into Thanksgiving. It's more than a holiday. It's Thanksgiving and not just Thanksgiving. But what is the greatest killer? What thwarts it? What, what, what stifles it? What hinders a thankful heart? Okay, so think about that. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you, or if you're, again, online, go ahead and put that in the comments section. But I want you to turn to somebody right now and tell them what you believe is the greatest killer to Thanksgiving. Go for it right now. I hear a little chitter-chatter. All right, good. All right. So I'm sure what they gave you was thought-provoking and profound. But let me give you the real answer. No, I'm kidding. Let me give you my answer, okay? If I was sitting next to you and I was turned to you right now, I would say pride is the greatest killer to gratitude. Because what pride does is it inserts yourself as the key figure narrative and the world revolves around you. And if world does not live up to your expectations, then you get upset. I get upset. I know I struggle with pride. So I get upset when the world doesn't perform to my expectations. And so therefore I expect it to get right. And I think pride is one of the things that literally sucks the appreciation, the the gratitude, the thankful heart that we should have. You think about it. The person gets an A in class, but wanted an A+. It's incredible. You're still in the top 5% of the class, but you didn't get the valedictorian, okay? Or you didn't get the top of the class. Where's the gratefulness that you're not like me and get out of school on remedial grades, okay? I mean, you could have not just made it out of school. But here's the gratitude that you did well. Jobs, people get a 3% raise because of their merit this year. Their merit raise was 3% or whatever. Well, I think I should have got 6%. What happens is the 6% becomes the focus and you forget the fact that you just got a 3% raise. So again, pride, arrogance, conceit, 
The sense of entitlement is all words that are synonymous with arrogance and pride. And what happens is we begin to say, well, I didn't get what I thought I deserved, so therefore I'm upset. Relationships. Oh my goodness. You talk about killing a relationship? Let pride insert itself into a marriage, into a dating relationship, and all of a sudden you're in a hot mess. I did this. I expected this in return. I'm keeping score. I'm not keeping score, but I'm kind of keeping score in my head because I did this. I expect this. That's a sense of entitlement. I I deserve this. I did this. I sacrificed this. So therefore you should do this for me. Again, that all comes back to pride. Pride. Here's a life principle for you. Pride is innate. It just comes with a package of a fallen human being, okay? It's just a part of the package. It is innate. Pride is innate. Gratitude is a choice. We choose gratitude, but innate is the default setting on the computer hard drive of our life. On the operating system of our life, we will live prideful, arrogant, entitled individuals, Sorry for the news on that, but listen, all you have to do is go back to remembering your little kids, those so innocent, precious children were learning their very first words. First, it was mama or dada, and I loved it that my kids said dada first. And so uh, dada or mama, and then right behind that is mine, mine, mine. You don't have to teach them mine. They will come with mine, okay? It's a part of the programming. But what you do have to teach them, and we do this, hey, go say thank you. Go be grateful. Have an attitude of gratitude. Why is it? Because pride is innate. Gratitude is a choice. We're going to have to look at our life, and maybe it's not what we thought it was. Look at our relationship. Maybe maybe our job, our grades, or whatever. Not what we thought it would be, but we're going to have to choose gratitude in that season. Otherwise, pride will dominate in us. Pride has a living, has us living in a constant state of discontent. However, gratitude has us living in a constant state of contentment. What does Paul say in the book of Philippians? I have learned to be content. Pride has us in a constant state of this, I need more, I want more, I deserve more. But what does is, what is gratitude have? It's a constant state of contentment. Thank you, God, that I have a job. Thank you, God, that I am alive. Thank you, God, that I have a home. It may not be as nice as the home down the street. It may not be as nice of a car as, as so-and-so. But again, I'm grateful, and it changes our whole perspective on life. I said this a few weeks ago because, again, pride and gratitude are competing with each other in our hearts. I said this a few weeks ago, so I don't want us to, I want to come back to it again, that arrogance is like body odor. Other people smell you before you smell you. And, 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 I, and I just want you to resonate that because you've, you've smelt people before and, and they haven't smelt themselves or they haven't done anything about it. So it's like, oh, what, I, what, 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 what do I say? What do I do? In that situation, you know, we just realize that arrogance has taken over and these people are not aware. They're not self-aware. They can't smell themselves. Well, that's what pride, pride precedes us. Pride enters the room before we enter the room. Pride is there. In fact, the way Paul and Solomon, excuse me, Solomon says it three different times in Proverbs He says, he talks about being wise in your own eyes. It's a person who's wise in their own eyes is a person who thinks that they've got it figured out, thinks that they have the answers. 
then you don't have the answers. And people who are wise in their own eyes, what does it say happens? What does the scripture say? What does Proverbs point to? Well, here's one of the ways how you deal with a person who's wise in their own eyes. Answer a fool according to his folly. Or he will be wise in his own eyes. Here's the problem with arrogance. If you do not correct, if you affirm arrogance, foolishness, then they will think that they're right. The worst thing you can do is affirm foolishness. You've got to confront it. You deal with a fool according to his folly. Again, go back a few weeks ago in a message. I talked about fools. I talked about wise fools and evil. Okay, again, you have to deal with a fool different than you deal with a wise, different than, than you deal with, with an evil person. But really what happens, if you notice, there's an eye problem. The way they see themselves, and I mean that in a pun, there's an eye problem, there's an eye problem. The way I see myself is the problem. And until I, until I see myself in a proper light, in truth, I'm going to struggle with arrogance, entitlement, conceitedness, a sense that you, you owe me. And again, if I can, I said there were three times in, in Proverbs. Here's a, here's a second time. I was in chapter 26, verse 5. Let's go down to chapter 26, verse 12. This is, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? So Paul uses, or, I keep using Saul. Paul, Solomon uses the same phrase again. There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, that's, that's a sad story there for just a moment. There, think of it as a continuum, if you will. Remember a few weeks ago. So you got wise on this end of the spectrum. You got evil on this end of the spectrum. And kind of in the middle, you have foolish. So if you look at life on that kind of spectrum, what does the scripture say here? There is more hope for a fool than there is for a person who is arrogant. So where does that put pride? But right about here. It puts pride between foolishness and evil. There's more hope for a fool than there is for him. Because what happens is why, uh, excuse me, foolishness or, or pride is so destructive to our lives, to our character, to where we are, that it can literally kill us from the inside out. Ego stands for edging God out. And there's only one throne in your life. And if you're on that throne, there's no throne, there's no room for God. So if you're ego driven, you're about edging God out. Now that's not really what ego means, but that's what ego means today. Okay. Take your Bibles and look at Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to go right in the middle of Proverbs, where we were last week, and we're going to go back there this week to finish up our series. And if you'll notice, we're in 16, but what about the 31 chapters? We've been trying to lump the sections and the themes of Proverbs together, and I've still not covered all of them. But to not talk about pride and arrogance and a haughty eyes or, or an arrogant spirit, to not talk about that would be to ignore 28 different verses of Proverbs, at least that I can count, that deal with arrogance, the proud, the boastful, 
So it would be doing it a disservice to not talk about this. And probably, in though some people have said this and not even realize they're quoting from Scripture, one of the Scriptures that they would know if they looked at Proverbs, if they, if they were to quote it, is they will know this verse. Because you will have said it to yourself, you will have said it to somebody else, or somebody will have said it to you. And it's in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction. Pride is a precursor to destruction. And the word destruction there is the Hebrew word for fracture, as if you have broken a limb. Now, if you've ever broken a limb, you know what that's like. It's not, it's not fun. It was, it was a sudden impact. It was something that happened. It was trauma to your body. And when that trauma happens, it can be an easy fix, put it back in place, put a cast on it, put a splint on it, and go on and just protect it for a few months. Or it can literally require surgery. A fracture to the point of shattering the bone, piecing it, putting foreign objects in there just to piece your leg or your limbs back together. And then it's requiring months and months and months of physical therapy. And then it's pain and pain on pain as you, as you recover. And then hopefully you'll have full mobility, but you might not even have full mobility when it's over. So what happens again with pride? Pride comes in and it shatters, it destroys, it fractures us. That can literally hinder us for the rest of our life. And then he goes on, he says, in a haughty spirit before a fall. So he's stacking statements on top of him, but notice the parallel. Because in the very next verse, he says, it is better to be of lowly spirit. So he says, a haughty spirit, and then he can contrast that with a lowly spirit and with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. It's better to be in the poorhouse than to have to live and to work and to, and to do life with a proud, arrogant individual. Because they're destructive, they'll destroy you, they'll destroy the organization, they'll destroy the team, they'll destroy so much of what's going on. So where does pride come in? Again, if you don't see it, you're, you have it, you're dealing with it, or you're not dealing with it and you're unaware of it, but pride and arrogance and self-entitlement and conceit. Nationalism is a form of pride. Classism is a form of pride. My nationalism would be like my country's better than your country. Uh, classism is my class is better than your class. Racism, sexism, my gender's better than your gender. It's a form of pride and arrogance manifesting itself. And let me, let me just tell you this. If you were to make a list of the top 10 things, no, let's say the top five things. No, let's say the top three things that God hates. Proverbs deals with that. He says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, he says, uh, there are six things the Lord hates. You think God hated things? Well, here, you're about to get an education. Six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination. That means they're worthy of hell, okay? To him. You know what the number one is? Haughty eyes. That is arrogant eyes, eyes that look through life, that see life through the lenses of, I am right, I am awesome, I am the, the king of the hill, I am, the, uh, I, am, uh, I am something special, I need more uh, accolades, I need more of a raise, or whatever it may be, however it may manifest. But it's in the top, not, not five, not six, not seven, it's in the top two, it's in the, it's the number one thing you list. Arrogance. God despises, and God will deal with it. God will deal with it. 
Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone, jot these down real quickly. Everyone who is arrogant will not go unpunished. Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord tears down the proud man's house. (laughs) You let pride enter into a marriage, arrogance, entitlement enter into a relationship, it'll kill it faster than anything else. It'll destroy it. It tears it down. First Peter chapter five, verse five, clothe yourself with all humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. He literally, it's a war term, a war, a warlike term. I'm fighting against you. Listen, you might be able to beat some people up, but you can't beat my daddy up. Okay. And I don't want to fight God and nor do I want God fighting me. God opposes the proud. He literally wars against us, but he gives grace to the humble. Not only did Peter say that, but James said that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I elevate this just to say that, listen, we've got to identify something we don't naturally identify and we got to deal with it. And so we need people in our lives telling us where or not, if we're not arrogant and proud. Let's talk about some manifestations, some aromas, if you will, that, that attitudes that come off with whenever we are arrogant. One, whenever we are prideful, one is we have an anti-authority mindset. Basically autonomy insistent and authority resistant. I want to be my own boss. We have more conversations going on today in our world about our rights than we do about our responsibilities. We might want to reverse that. What are my responsibilities versus my rights? But no, 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 we're a nation built on rights and liberty, and I'm thankful for that. But man, oh man, what does the scripture say? Is it about me? Is it about me being, getting my way? What happens is it's a, it's a form of pride that begins to manifest itself in us. A haughty spirit. Remember what he refers to in verse 18? A haughty spirit. And also in Roman, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 4, he says, haughty eyes and a proud heart. Notice they're married together. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The patient uh, the patient is in spirit are better than the proud in spirit. Now notice this. He says proud in spirit, proud in heart, proud in spirit. Where does this haughty, arrogant, conceited place start? It starts in the heart. It manifests itself in our life. It comes out in the way we live and the way we talk, but it really is a heart issue deep inside of us that we have to be very, very careful about. Contemporary society does not value personal submission. Rather, it teaches that the ideal, the highest position a human being can attain is that of personal autonomy. I get to have my rights in my way. Again, we have prioritized rights over responsibility. Our responsibility is to answer to the authority that God, who he is and who he puts in his place. So here's what I'm going to say to you. And I want you to chew on this is when I have a problem with authority, it's probably a pretty good indicator. I have a problem with pride. If I am all about my autonomy, all about my rights and not about my responsibilities and not about who I'm accountable to, then I'm missing it. 
I need to understand that pride has probably taken over my heart. And listen, that's not new. Whenever you go back to the very first sin of all of God's cosmos, okay? You can read about it when Lucifer, the angel, fell. Read about it in Isaiah chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 12 to 19. And you're going to see again and again and again how Lucifer talks about I. I want to do this. I want to do that. I'm going to overcome. It's all about I. Again, I said arrogance is an I problem. It's the way I see myself in life. Lucifer wanted to be the the head honcho. So what he's going to do is he's going to have a coup d'etat on heaven. Well, God squelches that. Okay, we know the rest of the story. We're living in the rest of the story. But that's the first sin that ever entered into God's cosmos. Now let's go to the second sin that entered into God's cosmos. This one was pride. What's the second one, Adam and Eve? What is that? What was the greatest temptation there? That you would become like God. Pride again becomes the first and foremost sin that we have to deal with. So here's what we have to realize is that the ultimate authority in life is God Almighty. But God does give, delegate authority out to others. The ultimate authority is God. I'm never going to do anything contrary to God. He is my authority. If, if man ever asked me to do anything, Acts chapter 5 verse 29, no, I only do what God says. But while God is the ultimate authority, he does have delegated authority. He puts authority in our life like government. That's a delegated authority. Government is in our life because it is an authority that God has established. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Obey the government, for God is the one who has put it there. The, those who refuse to obey the laws of the land are refusing to obey God. Wait, 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 wait. You mean I can have a Republican governor, a Republican president, I can have a Democratic president, I can, and I can say that God put them there? Yes, you can. Okay, does that mean I have to do what they say? Yes, you do. Unless it contraries to God's will. Okay. Because God delegated authority to the government. You say, oh, well, well, you don't realize how bad that party is. Well, you don't realize how bad Nero was when Paul was writing this to the church in Rome where Nero sat on the throne. You go do your own little study on Nero, okay? He was not the kind of neighbor you would want to have. He burned people at the stake, tarred and feathered them. Well, he tarred them and then burned them at a stake. So that's exactly who Nero was. We've got to realize that God puts in place, then he says, the punishment will follow. So we have to respect the government that God puts into place. And when the government asks us to do something, we need to honor that. So let me pull out just a, just a random example. Where did it go? Oh, there it is. Any of y'all like these? Okay. We're going to have an official burning of the mask whenever these masks can, can go away. Can I get an amen to that? All right, we're going to put a big old pile and we're just going to burn them all. But until then, if the government says, would you wear a mask? You can assert your rights or you can look at your responsibility. 
You can say, I'm going to put my stake in the ground on this one. And if a four inch piece of cloth is really what you want to stake your ground on, that's your choice. But when the government asks us to wear it, and you know what? A few weeks ago, our governor asked us to wear it while we sing. I was, came in here and I tell you what, I hate this thing. I don't wear it any more than I have to. I'll stay six feet back from somebody just so I don't have to wear it. But whenever he said wear it when singing, so I put it on last week and I sounded just as bad with it on as I did with it off. It doesn't improve it. It doesn't make it better. So what I did is I wore it. And you know what? I still sing and I still worship because worship comes from the heart, the same place that pride comes from. And so I was able to put it on and I was able to wear it. So just food for thought. I'm thankful our governor didn't require it, but he asked it. Think about it. The second delegated authority is work. God puts us on jobs with people who oversee us and we need to realize whether we like them or not. We like what they say or not, but they are an authority in our life. Work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord. So tomorrow when you get up, you're not working for Walmart. You're not working for the supplier. You're not working for the school system. You're not working for the public services. You're not working for some restaurant. You are working for the Lord. So what if you went in on your job and you had a totally different attitude? Because you're working for the Lord. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. So don't do it with a bad attitude. With respect, not only to the good and the gentle. That's easy. Those are the easy people to follow. But even to the unjust. Yes, even to the unjust. The church is a place of authority. God gave his authority in in Matthew 28 to the church to take the gospel to the nations. He also puts spiritual leaders over us in authority. And I can tell you right now, it does not bring me great pleasure to read these next verses. Hebrews chapter 13, 7 and 17 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the results of of their conduct, imitate their faith. And then he goes on, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls and those who will give an account. I realize that I will give an account as a spiritual leader of a church of people that put themselves and allow themselves to be under the leadership of our church. I am going to be in James chapter three. I'm going to be held a stricter account for my leadership. So please pray for me in that. Pray that God would keep me close and keep me clean. Watchman Nee said it like this in his book on spiritual authority. Great book worthy of reading. Before man can subject himself to God's delegated authority, he must first meet God's inherent authority. God God is calling the shots. Will you let him call the shots? Whenever you look at King Uzziah, one of the greatest kings ever to lead the nation, uh, 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 God's, God's people, when you think about it, he was the king since he was 16 years of age. He was a king for 52 years. That's five decades. Okay, you talk about shaping a nation. He was a king that it says in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 5, he says that Uzziah was always eager to please God. Now that would be an epitaph, right? That I would live my life for an audience of one. And not myself being the one, but for God, that was the life that I live. But then what happened? Pride enters into his heart. He became very famous. The Lord helped him wonderfully until he was very powerful. But at that point, he became proud. 
and corrupt, he sinned against the Lord his God. And you can go on and read the rest of the story. God holds him accountable. If we have an anti-authority mindset, then we will have to deal with that. Number two, I win. When I have an I win attitude, whenever that's what comes out of me, then your successes might become your greatest failure. When your successes might easily become your greatest failure, I can tell you of people in my 30 years of ministry, thinking about one person in particular who was very successful in real estate, who when I met him, he was not successful in real estate. He had just got ripped off by his business partner. His business partner took all the wealth. He left him with all the debt. He was in the hole. He was broken personally, broken financially in so many ways. And he was trying to dig himself out. And he was broken. We prayed together. We worshiped together. We served together. We walked through life for five to six years together. And then he starts climbing out of this hole. And then he became successful again in real estate and more and more successful in real estate. And every step he took in deeper into success, he took one more step away from God and the church and me and accountability and anything else. And to this day, this man, as far as I know, is not walking with God and is not in church. Here's what Max Dupree said. He said, leaders are fragile precisely at the point of their strengths liable to fail at the height of their success. I have seen it happen to software engineer who was very, 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 very successful. And I knew him when he was in seminary. I knew him whenever he was feeling called to start a church and walked with him in helping him start a church. And and then all of a sudden saw his career go like that in an incredible fashion. And to this day, he's walked away from the church, walked away from his family, walked away from his career. He's still a filthy rich individual. But the point being is he walks away from God. His success became his greatest failure. I've seen politicians who go into politics for a moral compass reason, only to get to Little Rock, only to get to to Washington, D.C., to drink the water, to become more about political politics than about principle. And that's sad. I've seen Walmartians grow up in the ranks, become a VP, and see them walk away. Their success became their greatest failure. Listen, before you pray for success, read Proverbs. Read Ecclesiastes. But read Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, whenever he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want either, God. I just want enough daily bread. That's all I need. Why? Why would you pray that prayer? Man, why don't you pray for the hill? Pray for the mansions. Pray for it all. Why? Because otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and dishonor the name of my God. So God, give me just enough that I will be content. What did I say? Great gratitude breeds a life of contentment. Pride breeds a life of discontentment. See, we become demigods in our own little world. We're a half human and half God when it's about me winning. Number three, 
I got this. When we have an I got this attitude in life, I don't need you. I can figure this out. I can manpower my way through this. I can muscle my way up. If there's any area that I deal with pride more, it's right here. I want to fly solo. I want to fix it. I'm a fixer. You give me a problem, I'll work all night long. I'll spend energy. I will I'll lose sleep fixing problems. Because I don't like things undone. I don't like things with frayed ends. I want it put back together again. So I will just work myself. And what happens is I get so much on, so much going. And it's like, I can't, COVID has done that. It's like, there's so much to manage. There's no way I can manage it all. And expectations and and thoughts and feelings. But here's what happens. Again, temptation on my part is I become a practical atheist where I don't need God. I can do this on my own. It's a very dangerous posture to have. Clothe yourself in humility. Basically, God, I need help. I need you. Clothe yourself in humility, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Remember a lowly spirit? A lowly spirit versus a haughty spirit? What happens? In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12, it says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes from honor. Listen, the antidote to pride is humility. God, I can't. God, I need your help. God, I can't fix this. God, it's not about me having all the answers. See, when I have a, I got this God attitude, I don't really need God. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm a train wreck waiting to happen. I need to realize that humility comes before honor. Proverbs 3, 34 and 35 says, the humble, he gives favor. Proverbs 29, 23, the one's pride will bring him low, but the lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Notice these words that we just read. Grace favor, honor. God wants to give us grace, favor, honor. What is it going to take? A lowly spirit is what Proverbs says, or humility. What is humility? It's so hard to define. It's not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking less about ourselves and thinking more of what God can do through me or what you, what, what are your needs? What are your concerns? It's putting you in front of me. July 22nd, 2005. And I only know that because I jotted it down in a journal and I opened up and I found it just this morning. There was one verse that I started memorizing. Last verse I want to read, Proverbs 22, verse 4. It's a verse that I go back to from time to time. I pull out my little cards, I pull it out, and I just remember. Do you all remember what you were doing on July 22nd in 2005? I don't have a clue what I was doing. But evidently, I was reading through Proverbs 22, and evidently that verse stood out. And I can tell you right now that I remember what stood out. What stood out was riches, honor, and life. I want riches, honor, and life. God, I I want riches. I want honor. I want life. You got to back into that, though. He says, humility and the fear of the Lord. 
Every message, I've always brought it back to the fear of the Lord because that's Solomon calling out to us. You've got to have a right relationship with God. You've got to know him in a way that he is God and you are not. You've got to honor him in the way that he is in control and you are not. You, again, pride's got to get out of the way. So what happens right before that? Humility. Humility realizes that I'm not everything. I don't have all the answers. I can't do it all myself. Humility is what it starts with. It's what starts the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, humility is where it all starts. Then I can move into the fear of the Lord. Now I have a right relationship with God. That is set. My relationship with God is set. My relationship with who I am is set because I'm not everything in a bag of chips. I, I, I am realizing I need God in my life. And then I can step into riches, honor, and life. I know we all want that. I would bet we all want that. But first of all, it starts with humility. Do you have that? The recognition that I need God. Number two, do you have a relationship with God? Let's pray together. Father, there are so many things to be grateful for. But when we live in a world that demands more for us and tells us that we should demand more of others and we make this life about us. Oh God, we are living arrogant, conceited, self-indulgent, entitled lives. God, forgive us for setting our life up for destruction when what you want is humility and the fear of the Lord. Humility and the fear of the Lord. Lord, anybody in this room that does not know you fully in all of your greatness and all of your grace and all of your favor, I pray today that where they sit, they would step into humility and they would just simply say, I need you, Jesus. I need you and I want you, Jesus. Jesus, come into my life. Be my everything. I'm tired of trying to do it all myself. I'm trying to be about me winning. I'm trying about me doing it myself. And I'm tired about demanding my rights. I am ready to submit to your authority, God. I am ready to give you the glory for my life. And I am ready to say, I can't, but you can, God. My life is yours. God, offer ourselves to you. Speak to us now. Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?